elementary students can be dismissed to their classrooms. Well, last week we began a journey together um, exploring God's design for rest. We examined that on our first full day of existence as human beings in the Garden of Eden, our first full day was spent resting. The model God gave us was to be people who work from our rest rather than rest from our work. We also looked at how resting is one of the Ten Commandments. It made God's top ten It's not a suggestion. To not rest is to sin. We also looked at the amount of space God gave his people in the Old Testament to rest. Through the Sabbath each week, several festivals, and even um, year, full years where God commanded the people not to work. And then we also discovered how idols keep us from rest. Idols like the love of money, the desire to please others, the love of comfort, and so on. And as a refresher, if you weren't here, here is the definition that we are working with. Ha <laughs> there's my name. I love it. That's hilarious. Rest is abiding in the presence of God and growing to trust his goodness. So we talked about last week, um, rest can be sharing a meal with others, time spent with spiritual friends, enjoying nature, spending time in scripture, journaling, creating art, creating music, anything that opens the door for you to see, feel, and experience God. That is true rest. And there is a fascinating piece of writing that uh, I came across. I actually think I might have shared this several years ago. It's from an unknown author, but it's written in a style very similar to C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. Anyone read The Screwtape Letters? Okay, about 10 people, okay. So it's written kind of from the perspective of Satan and his demons. So it gives you a glimpse into kind of how Satan works, how he goes about tempting us, trying to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. Um, I tweaked this a little bit, but check this out. It relates quite a bit to what we're talking about. It said, Satan called a worldwide convention. In his opening address to his evil angels, he said, we cannot keep the Christians from going to church. We can't stop that. If they gain that connection to Jesus, though, our power over them is broken. So let them go to their churches, but steal their time so that they cannot gain that relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what I want you to do. Distract them from gaining hold of their Savior and maintaining that vital connection throughout their day. How shall we do this? His demons shouted. Keep them busy in the non-essentials of life and invent innumerable schemes to occupy their minds, he answered. Tempt them to spend, 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 and borrow, borrow, borrow. Persuade the wives to go to work for long hours and the husbands to work six to seven hours each week, 10 to 12 hours a day, so that they can afford their empty lifestyles. Keep them from spending time with their children, which will help fragment their families. Overstimulate their minds so that they cannot hear that still, small voice. Entice them to play the radio whenever they're in their car. Entice them to engage their cell phones and television constantly. Pound their minds with news 24 hours a day. Even in their recreation, let them be excessive. Have them return from their recreation exhausted 
disquieted and unprepared for the coming week. Do not let them go out in nature to reflect on God's wonders. Instead, help them to go to amusement parks, sporting events, concerts, and movies instead. Keep them busy, busy, busy. Crowd their lives with so many good causes that they have no time to seek power from Jesus. Soon they'll be working in their own strength, sacrificing the health, sorry, sacrificing the health and family for the good of the cause. It will work. It will work, Satan said. It was quite a convention. The evil angels went eagerly to their assignments, causing Christians everywhere to get more busy and more rushed, going here and there. I guess the question is this. Has the devil been successful at his scheme? You be the judge. So church, not only do we as individuals and families need rest, our city needs to see us be people of rest. Okay? There's too much on the line for us to not be people of rest. We live in a frantic society marked by chaos, busyness, and distraction. Few things are more compelling than a community of believers who are willing to say no to the chaos, who are willing to slow down, and who have the courage to reject the madness. A community that lays down their pride by understanding that the world does not revolve on what we produce. Okay? Our world is longing for rest, for a community to help them heal and become whole. And we have that opportunity to show our city our God of rest. Okay? So we're going to continue this journey together by looking at how Jesus prioritized rest today. So open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 1, page 1424, I believe, if you're using a pew Bible. So we're going to start at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Mark 1, verses 9 through 13. It says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized, excuse me, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. <clears throat> Just as Jesus was coming up, out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. Jesus' baptism was kind of his inauguration. It was his public statement that, hey, my ministry work has begun. It's game on, okay? This is why I have come. And what's the first thing that Jesus does in his ministry? Day one, he rests, right? He leaves, not only for one day, but for 40 days, he spends in the wilderness. And just as day one of creation, last week we looked at was a day of rest, day one of Jesus' ministry was a day of rest. He left for an extended retreat to spend 40 days in the desert alone with his father. 
So his first move to change the world was to take an extended retreat. And this is quite opposite of how most of us would act, and, right? If we set out, gathered a team and said, hey, we got this new product, we got this new vision, we're going to change the world. Here's what we're going to do. For 40 days, we're going to do nothing. We're just going to pray. You'd be like, what? That does not make sense. So one of the ways Jesus rested, we're going to look at three key ones, was by retreating for extended period of time to be alone with his father. Stay in Mark 1. Skip down a few verses here to uh, 35. Verses 35 through 49. It says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So after spending 40 days in desert solitude, he's about to begin his second day of actual ministry work. And again, he rests. He rested. Daily rest, abiding in the presence of his father, was something he did time and time and time again throughout the Gospels. Check out these verses here that show this. Matthew 14, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Mark 6, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Luke 5, 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. In Luke 6, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night, the whole night, in prayer to God. And something really interesting from the story in Mark that we just read is that his disciples are kind of on the hunt to find him because his first day of ministry was a smashing success, okay? People were talking, crowds wanted to be around him, they wanted to see him and meet this new character that arrived on the scene named Jesus. And they're saying, come on, let's go. There's a huge crowd right here. And he just goes, nah, nah, we're going to leave. Let's go. And he walked away. He walked away to a really good opportunity, a really great ministry opportunity even. And he rested. Sometimes resting means saying no to good things so that you can create space in your life to be still and hear from God. Sometimes resting means saying no. So Jesus had extended times of retreat. He had daily rest. And the third aspect of how Jesus rested was that he taught his disciples how to do it. He was very intentional in teaching them how to do it. Turn over a few pages to Mark 6. Same book. Maybe it's just one page for you guys. I don't know. Mark 6. So the context here is that Jesus had just sent his disciples out kind of on mission to go door to door and just start preaching the gospel, trying to get people to repent. So we're going to read kind of the debriefing conversation of, of how that went. Mark 6, verses 30 and 31. Said the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. 
then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So in the midst of what we would probably call a revival, huge crowds, everybody wanting to be a part of you and what you're doing, he again tells the disciples, let's get out of here. Let's leave. We need a quiet place to rest. And so they walked away. Extended retreat, daily rest, and teaching others how to rest were all part of Jesus' life and ministry. There's even a funny story in Mark 4 where Jesus is in a boat with his disciples and a horrible storm comes. And it says that the waves were actually crashing on over the boat. And you know what Jesus is doing? He's sleeping in the back of the boat on a cushion. And his disciples wake him up, losing their minds for fear of their life. And Jesus is just sleeping on a pillow. Even in the midst of chaos, he rested. What does rest look like for you? What does rest look like in your life? If God prioritized daily rest, times of retreat, teaching and modeling others how to rest, how are we doing at following his example? In order to prioritize rest or certainly to teach others how to do it, we have to first die to the lie that we are in control, right? Die to the lie. We have to release our grip on our families, on our work, on our ministry endeavors to acknowledge that he calls the shots. He is God. We certainly are not. Only he can change the human heart. We have to surrender to him and grant him the space to move. So I want to ask you guys a question, and I, and I want response kind of along the, the lines of die to the lie. What's the lie that you tend to believe that keeps you from rest? What's the lie that you often believe that keeps you from resting? Another way to think of it, what's a false narrative that runs through your head that hinders you from engaging rest like Christ has so clearly modeled? What's the lie that keeps you from resting? The floor is open. Okay, the lie that if he's not working or doing something, then he's not serving God. He's being disobedient. Maybe feeling a sense of like laziness. Yeah, okay, good. Who else? What's that? It's a waste of time to do nothing. Okay, good. That you can do it all yourself. Okay, yep. It's a lie to die to. Okay, fear of missing out is the lie that she believes. Yes, read. What's that? That the work won't get done if you're not busy. If you're not busy producing. Good, good, good. Okay. Rest isn't worth it because you always got so much more to do, right? That just puts you behind on being productive. Good. If you can get it all done, then you'll rest. Ah, yes. 
I don't know what it is about 2022, but man, you guys are answering some questions. <laughs> Keep it up. This is amazing. You guys have never responded so quickly or so many people in any of my sermons. I, I love it. A lie for me, um, somebody said it, is that I believe that I can accomplish more on my own than God can accomplish through me. In a very practical way, this plays itself out as literally in writing sermons, okay? So when I know I'm scheduled to preach on a given Sunday, my first day in the office that week leading up, it's game on. I sat down, and I'm like, okay, here's my passage. I'm going to read all my translations. got my Bible software. I'm looking up my commentaries. I'm seeing what other pastors I really look up to are writing about. Boom, 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 boom. It takes an intentional decision for me to stop and say, you know what? Maybe God has something specific he wants to show me. Maybe he wants me to take this at a certain angle. Or more than that, you know what? Maybe he wants to just speak to my heart rather than being preoccupied with how good of a message I'm going to deliver. Because my heart needs challenge, right? My heart needs encouraged. And obviously, the, really, the root of this is pride. When I do this, it's because I'm, I'm operating out of a prideful spirit. So when God making me rest is kind of helping to tear down the walls of pride, that I'm in control, I got this, I'm smarter than God. You know, any, any other ridiculous thought like that. And guys, I want to reiterate what I said last week, that we, we, unlike Old Testament believers, we can rest at all times now, in all time and all places, because Christ is in us. Unlike the people in the Old Testament, okay? Christ is in us. He's our rest, residing in us through his spirit. He is always available to us, whether we want to acknowledge him or not. He is constantly knocking on the door to our heart, waiting for us to open it and to allow him in to our day. He is our rest. Rest is not some destination to be traveled to, okay? It's not some beach in Jamaica, okay? It's not improved circumstances, it's not, oh, this different season of life will be so restful. Rest is a person, and his name is Christ, Jesus Christ. Check out what he said in the book of Matthew, chapter 11. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is really cool. There's a variation between the Greek words rest that are used twice in this passage. One means to literally stop. That's the one we kind of talked about last week, to seize work, to stop. And the other means to be refreshed or actually to take life easy. I love that. To take life easy. When we come to Jesus, not only are we refreshed, but we learn to take life easy. Would taking life easy describe your relationship with Christ and the way that you operate? Maybe you have a hard time kind of envisioning how Jesus took life easy. He had to be pretty serious, right? Carried a pretty serious message. So 
I got a clip I want to show you guys from the show The Chosen that gives a kind of a great visual of what Jesus was like and how he took life easy. So the context, real quick, before we dim the lights and roll that beautiful footage, is that Jesus had just, just finished a really funny conversation with Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. So they kind of approach Jesus, and they're at a wedding, and Jesus wants to dance. People would dance at weddings. And so Simon goes, Jesus, my brother Andrew is a terrible dancer. He has four left legs. Don't make him dance. He's awful. This will embarrass him. It will embarrass all the disciples. And so Jesus is just joking with him. So a little bit of time goes on, and in the, in the middle of this wedding, Peter's trying to get all serious about how he's you know, committed to Jesus. And this is what Jesus said to Peter. That's good. They continue to dance for a long time. So I don't know why the subtitles were so off. That was terrible. Um, so they continue to dance. And at one, at one scene later on while they're dancing, Simon looks at Jesus and goes, so what do you think? Like, can you help my brother? Can you heal him of his four left feet? And Jesus goes, some things I cannot even do. So, no. <laughs> Jesus was fun. He was, guys. He was funny. He joked. He laughed, he was playful, he took life easy, but he lived life to the full. And these moments like this, just even in themselves, were ways for Jesus to rest in the goodness of his father by enjoying the company of his friends and loved ones. What example are you showing the world about God's value of rest? What are you teaching others about rest by the way that you live? Is your life marked by retreat, daily rest, and taking it easy like Jesus' life was? I want us to take a few minutes and kind of look back at how the early church now, so Jesus' first followers, what rest looked like for him. And we're talking about a gap of 2,000 years between us and them. Obviously, things have changed. I get that. We have to hit on the simplicity of their lifestyle. That has to be taken into consideration before we kind of take a glimpse at this. So 2,000 years ago, they, they certainly had their own unique set of challenges, but 
we got to remember that they had no vehicles to rush around in. Okay? No technology. So no cell phones, no computers, no laptops, no TVs, no video games, no internet, no texting, nothing. Not even electricity. Okay? So when the sun went down, you were forced to wind down. Okay? You had to. All of these things cater to rest. A lifestyle of minimal distractions lends itself to rest. So turn with me. We're going to look at one more section together. Open up to Acts 2. Then we're going to do something fun. Acts 2, I think it's uh, page 1552 if you're using a, a pew Bible. Many of you know this. This is one of the most beautiful descriptions of the first Christian church. Acts 2.42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They deeply valued relationships with each other. All the believers were together. They met every day at their place of worship. They all shared meals with each other in their homes. If rest is abiding in the presence of God and growing to trust his goodness, then doesn't spending time with believers help foster those things in our hearts and in our lives? A major way that God speaks to us is through the presence of other believers. When I spend time with people in this church community, I know that God is with us because he said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there, right? I am there. I am with them. My soul, my heart is strengthened and encouraged when the men of this church look me in the eye and remind me of how loved I am, remind me of how valuable I am. When I speak grace and truth to people, not only does it hopefully bless them, but it reaffirms in my heart the truth of how loved I am and who God is and who he says I am. When I look back on my life, the times that God has spoke clearest when I felt most near to him is when an, it's, it, it's not been when I've heard a well-polished sermon, okay? I've, I've heard Tim Keller preach a sermon at his church in New York. That was pretty awesome, okay? But one-on-one -on -one conversations in small groups has been much more impactful for me. So, now we're going to get practical. This is fun. Who's got one of these? Hopefully you got some. My goodness. If you don't, well, I think there's, a, there's some more. Are there any more in the back of these? Okay, there should be a lot of these if you need one. So we passed these out last week, our rest handouts. Um, we challenge you to set aside 20 minutes to um, 
kind of seize all activity. So really just kind of getting in the rhythm of, okay, God, here's this time, right? For some of you, that's early in the morning. Maybe it's over your lunch break. Maybe it's before bed. Just whenever you feel most alive, okay? So hopefully you were able to do that. So now for this week, we're going to kind of add to our practice, and we're going to engage in silence. If you notice on the back, each week begins with an action. So we're on week two. So it says this, subdue your environment by eliminating all distractions and noise that compete for your attention so you can discern God's voice. Remove all reminders of urgency. So hopefully now that you've established somewhat of a rhythm of time to be spent with God, now we're going to be intentional with that time by being silent. So I was trying to do this this past week in my office downstairs, and I had my phone and my planner within reach. And while I was trying to have my stillness, I looked at my phone. I think I even sent a text message, got my planner out, and like marked something down for next week. And I, I literally, I said, what am I doing? This is exactly what I'm trying to teach people not to do. So do not follow my example, okay? I clearly do not have this figured out. I am not very disciplined. This does not come natural for most, most of us, okay? To engage in silence, we have to turn our phones off. Literally, like, put it in another room, okay? We can't be sitting in front of a television that's turned on. Far too distracting. You cannot be in front of that many bright lights and not be, oh, that's cool, right? Wow. Okay? So we're aiming for 20 minutes a day of silence. If that is impossible for you, shoot for 10. Okay? If you can't do that, try five. Let's start there, but let's aim for 20, okay? That'll be a huge step for quite a few of us, okay? And we have to remove distractions. So that's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to give you a minute of silence right now, and I want you to take a pen if you want to jot down on a note or type into your phone. I want you to write down all the things in your life that might be a distraction for you this week to engage, some of you are laughing, to engage in silence, okay? So after you've wrote down some of the biggest hindrances and challenges that you foresee messing up your silence, then I want you, if you feel comfortable, to look at the person next to you and kind of show them your list like, hey, check this out, and vice versa, okay? And then we're going to do something fun. So take a minute and write down all the potential distractions that you could see happening this week as you engage in silence. Go. Some of you, that list could be long.
Okay, so what we're going to do now is we're going to kind of create, Bob had sent me this idea, I thought it was pretty good, we're going to create kind of like a Wellspring top 10. So I'm going to have you guys say some of the things that you wrote down, and Billy, our computer guy back there, is going to do his best to type them in, and we're going to kind of make a list up here to see all the distractions, right, that could prevent us from really engaging in silence. There might be a few seconds of delay, but we'll get those up. So raise your hand and say something that you wrote down that could potentially, wow, distract you this week. Children. Children, okay, yeah, no doubt about it. Children. The Chiefs. The Chiefs, yes, amen. <laughs> Children and Chiefs. You got those, Billy? What else? Yes. Your job, okay, job, yep. Facebook. Ah, yeah, Facebook. Eric. Just everything going on around us. Busyness. How about that? Somebody else had hands up. Oh, a lot. TV. Yeah, that's distracting. Goats. Wow, goats. Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> you got distracted by the goats. Yeah, I wasn't expecting goats either. That's pretty cool. That's something I will not be distracted by this week. <laughs> Billy goats. If you think of it, raise your hand again. You know. Okay, so just messiness, maybe? Yeah, messiness, sure. Video games. Are you getting these, Billy? You see, he, he can't get over the goats. We got messiness. What was the other one? And video games, I think, are the ones missing. Okay, household projects, yes. Honey-do list, maybe, yeah, if you want to call it that. Anything else? What's that? Just phone. Oh, my gosh, yes, cell phones. Relationships, right? Sometimes you can just be busy, 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 constantly just being around people. Yes. Anything else? Food. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, food. Hmm. Those peanut butter M&Ms are always calling my name. Yeah. Wow, we, got, we can't even fit all the list. So congratulations, guys. We are the most distracted church this side west of the Mississippi. So way to go, guys. I'm just kidding. So let's do our best to vow to silence these things as much as possible, right? While being kind, especially the ones that contain people. Okay, so that we can really engage silence with God. So maybe for some of you, maybe that have never done anything remotely close to this, you begin that, you know, begin this time just kind of with your palms up. Just say, God, here I am. <laughs> Whatever you want to speak, I'm here. I have removed all distractions as much that is within my ability to hear your voice. Okay. And maybe God says something to you, and maybe he doesn't. And that's okay. You're not going to walk away from every one of these you know, times of silence with a new vision for life or a new dream or your heart just being encouraged. What you're doing is setting yourself up in a position to hear from God, which is something that quite a few of us don't do often enough. 
If that's too awkward, you can certainly, you know, focus on some of the verses that Matt Robertson gave us last week that are on our social media. To sit in silence and do nothing has been called an act of courage. When we create space to hear from God, we're putting ourselves in a position to calm our anxious souls, okay? And I have, I have a few verses that I wanted to give you guys if you just find yourself really struggling with this. You find, like, why am I just sitting here? Why am I waiting on the Lord? So, Billy, you want to put those up if you have those? Um, so let these be an encouragement. I think we have two slides. Let these be an encouragement to you if you want to write those down as well, okay? Let's be people who wait on the Lord. He is our strength. He is good. And he is our rest. Amen? All right, let's pray together.